I'd invite you to just get centered now, feel the weight of your body pressing down into the seat. We're such brain-centered Christians, but Christianity is a whole-bodied reality. We are body, soul, mind, heart, all one integrated, complex being. And so feel the weight of your body now, your soul embodied, your brain, your mind, just settling in for a moment with God to be near him, to hear from him, to know him and to love him. As you feel the weight of your body, Newtonian physics says that's gravity, and it is. St. Paul would say, by the word of his power, you are being held to the earth. By the word of Christ's power, you are being held together. And by that same power, we have been delivered from evil. This day, Father, may there be a soberness in your people, and may you anoint these saints as mighty soldiers, warriors, victors, and champions. They are. They are the front line between heaven and earth, in workplace, in classroom, around family dinner table. These are the thin spaces. And here Satan flees as the people of God stand and resist. Empower these people. Empower our bodies and our souls. Give us courage this day and restore unto us a gift of faith, joy, courage, wisdom. The war is over, but the war rages on. And so we, may we stand fast for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. It was one of those classic, ubiquitous, sunny afternoons in San Diego, and I was making my way through Mission Valley Mall, you know, those outdoor breezeways. There was literally nobody in the mall that day. It had to have been like a Tuesday afternoon, like two o'clock in the afternoon or whatever. And I'm just lollygagging around, taking my time, lazily walking in front of the shops. And I noticed uh, up in front of me, probably like 100 yards or so, a woman approaching me. And I could tell that she was staring pretty intently at me. And so in my mind, I thought to myself, oh, she's probably knows me from somewhere as a public communicator and wants to say hi. So as I approached her, I began to prepare my, my cordial greeting and, you know, the catching up that you do in those sorts of scenarios. But the closer she got to me, the more strange the experience became. Her body kept contorting at this awkward angle. Nothing too gratuitous or out of place, but just enough where, you know, when you're watching somebody's body language, you're taken aback by strange, awkward, erratic movement. And the closer she got, she was staring even more intensely at me. And I immediately realized I don't recognize this woman. And her body was contorting and moving and, and tweaking out just a little bit. And it was kind of making me very uncomfortable. And so I sped up my pace a little bit, just really focusing on the shops, just trying to get around this strange moment in front of me. And as I passed her, I thought I was in the clear. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I hear her say, please, please stop. Stop, please. Hey, you, 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 please stop. And she was panicked. And I turned around to look at her, and her facial expression was one of, it's hard to describe, but her facial expression to me, I interpreted it as one of pure terror. She was, she was horrified, and her body was bent at this strange angle from the hip, and I could not reproduce it right now. I'd throw my back out trying to, not in any weird, like, Hollywood, demonic movie way, but just enough where you were like, what is going on in her and with her? So I quickly began running this mental assessment of the whole situation. I began asking myself, is she in need of help? Is she physically injured? Is there something wrong with her? Is somebody after? her? Is she being chased? Is there a mental illness at play here that I need to discern? 
why am I being involved in this? I'm, of course, asking myself, and why am I the one that's the source of her fear, apparently? Now, as I'm running through this quick mental triage of the situation, this woman looked up at this awkward, contorted body angle, and she, like, looked at the eave uh, of the roof there at the breezeway in Mission Valley Mall. And she starts pointing, and she's looking at me. And then she's pointing back uh, up over the eave, and she begins saying to me, can, can, can you not see them? How, how can, can, you, can you not see them? Do, don't you know? Do you, look, at, they're all watching you. You know they're all watching you. Now, of course, I began to get this very uncomfortable, sick feeling in my stomach, realizing in my unconscious mind that the curtains were being parted on a world that most of the time I can ignore. Meanwhile, my upfront rational mind was searching for roofers or construction people that were maybe staring down at us. And so, of course, I mustered, um, who, who, who's watching me? To which she literally responded, you know. You know. They've always watched you. They're still watching you. You know they're watching you. You know they watch you. And with that, she turned around and walked off with this erratic sort of janky body movement and as I have for 25 years now, ever since I was delivered from a very demonic background in 1998, I prayed, Father, deliver me from the evil one. And so with that story, we come to the conclusion of our meditations here in the Our Father. This Our Father prayer, it's a paradigm given by Jesus to his disciples to pray through the ages now, Jesus ends this particular prayer on a somewhat ominous note, and he teaches his people to pray for deliverance from the evil one. For people like me, with my particular background, very demonic, drug-induced psychosis, I went back and got my medical records from Canyon View some years ago, and the counselors had written that I had told them I could see the devil in people's eyes. I'd been speaking with the demons of nine, and I had all of these insights into that satanic world that I had been given. For people like me, evil is not just an abstract philosophical conundrum or a moral problem to be solved. Evil was and is a very real experience in my day-in, day-out life. Without going into unnecessary detail, I had given myself over to very, very dark things prior to Jesus, and he literally, in every sense of the word, saved me from those things. But those things have never completely left in the sense that they continue to watch and they continue to war against God's will for my personal life. And those types of scenarios that I just described to you there at Mission Valley Mall on a ubiquitous sunny, sunny afternoon in San Diego, are somewhat commonplace in my life, and they have been for the last 25 years. Just ask Alexis, my wife, about particular instances over the 20 years that she's been married to me of people in the street, whether it be mental illness or whether it be demonic, these odd interactions that I've had where they seem to know things, and they say things to me that are very, very disconcerting. But it's not only people like me with a background like mine. Jesus intended that you and I all together be aware. He intended that we were all to recognize a war that we are all currently involved in. And so all of God's people are called to pray equally and fervently. As C.S. Lewis once said, enemy occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage.
Now, in a different work, the same great C.S. Lewis noted, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he does not exist. For you as late Western moderns, that's what we are sociologically speaking, it's all too easy for us to go about our lives completely oblivious to the constant activity that we cannot comprehend with our five corporeal senses, sight and sound and smell and touch and taste, always going on around us in the unseen. We have been duped, Christians, by a secular story that says things of such spiritual nature are merely just leftover superstitions or silly explanations of an unenlightened humanity. And so we moderns, we now know better with our empirical proofs and our scientific expertise, clearly stating that all is well in the unseen world because the unseen world doesn't exist. In fact, our society has labored since the Enlightenment to try to rid itself of the notion of evil in general. Andrew Del Banco and the death of Satan, how Americans have lost the sense of evil, writes this. We have jettisoned the idea of cosmic evil or transcendent evil or supernatural evil. We don't believe in it. In fact, we don't like to use the word evil because it implies moral absolutes and value judgments. So we use medical terms. We talk about dysfunction. We talk about pathology. We don't use moral terminology. Now, as you're going to see throughout the rest of this teaching, there is a depth of complexity when it comes to mental illnesses, flesh, sin, Satan, society, the world. It's hard to parse through which influence is most active in whichever scenario. The point is, this avoidance of evil works for most of us most of the time until suddenly it doesn't. When faced with the inexplicable events of such terrible and horrific scope, Things like the senseless murder of innocents in mass shootings, child sex trafficking, the strong torturing the weak, the powerful taking from the frail, gas chambers, atom bombs. In the face of these types of events, even the most ardent naturalist atheist is going to reach for words like wicked or heinous or villainous. And some might even venture descriptors such as those things are monstrous, those things are diabolical, hinting that there might be something behind the scenes of such horrors. But what I can guarantee is the word that every human on this planet, no matter what that human being's worldview is, the word that every human reaches for to describe the indescribable realities that we see in our day-in, day-out news feeds is evil. Evil. Now, philosophers for centuries have tried to categorize and conceptualize the nature of evil. They've tried to define its contours and to understand its sources. And so the philosophers will talk about moral evil, the evil of lack or privation, existential, humanistic, social, structural evil. Some even give a genuine nod to what they call metaphysical evil, that unseen source of evil. And what I would say is that I, as much as anybody, enjoy a good philosophical discussion around evil. It's very stimulating to think about these concepts while sitting in the comfort of a, a leather armchair, doing your armchair philosophy while sipping on a scotch and possibly toking away on a cigar, because that's what they do whenever you do those types of things. It's very easy to do that when you're untouched by the malign forces that are swirling around us. But mere definitions 
And philosophical eloquence does not deliver us from evil, which is where we must heed Jesus' instructions on prayer. Jesus Christ's worldview integrated this comprehensive understanding of evil that included not only definitions of evil and highlighted where sources of evil come from, but gave us the means of deliverance from evil. Now, let's get into the text itself, okay? Matthew's Greek translation here of this particular prayer, Matthew's Greek translation, it is very, very ambiguous in the original language. It could be translated in three separate ways. Deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one, deliver us from the evil one. Underlined, ominous tone, echoing voice behind that. Deliver us from evil, that first one is the general chaos. Deliver us from the calamity and the harm done by events and social structures and natural disasters and aberrant beliefs and behaviors. Deliver us from the evil one, small case, meaning an actual human perpetrator of human against human harm. Deliver us from those scenarios, from those evil instances, those evil people, so to speak. And then deliver us from, underlined, capitalized, the evil one, this malevolent spiritual being, along with its minions, whose character starts in Genesis 3 and the ark carries all the way through to his fiery lake demise in Revelation chapter 20. All three of these are possible translations here in Matthew's account of Jesus's prayer. And the ambiguity of the Greek text actually reflects the Bible's comprehensive, complex understanding of this evil that we all need deliverance from. It is a complicated force. And so we as human beings, we experience the natural world around us as evil, with its mindless earthquakes, its tornadoes, its viruses, its venomous snakes on land, and its sharks of the sea, of which I'm very afraid of for some reason when I'm out surfing, (laughs) and natural disasters. We also experience evil through our society, what Jesus and the authors of the New Testament called the world. Much more on that this spring. Turn from or look away from the world. Look to the kingdom of God. These societies, our society, the world, it expresses evil through oppressive systems, through wars, through racism, through sexism, classism, economic and political structures that press down rather than lift up, and a general disregard for the well-being of its inhabitants. And then individual humans perpetrate countless acts of harm. You and I are also included in that list. (laughs) Now, that's just the way that Christianity works. The finger is always pointed at us. We have each done evil in in and of ourselves. And then behind all of this is this metaphysical chaos monster of Genesis chapter 3. It goes by by many titles throughout the biblical narrative. The enemy, the accuser, the Satan, the Satan. It's actually a title. It's not actually a name. The Satan always twisting, always turning God's good world into this mangled mess that we exist in today. Now, one thing, and this is a bit of a philosophical point for you cigar-smoking, scotch-sipping philosophers, it's helpful to remember from a biblical perspective that evil is not an equal of good in the biblical worldview. Let me just say that again. This is so important for all of you to grasp. In the biblical worldview, when Jesus talked about evil, it wasn't black and white, good guy, bad guy, Batman and whoever Batman's arch nemesis is, the Riddler, I don't know, whichever one, whichever one it is, whichever movie you're watching, they're not equal forces. Evil is always and only a corruption of what is good. 
Satan is not an equal to God. And so whenever you get into Eastern philosophies and uh, Eastern spirituality, you have yin and yang, you have the black and white, you can't have the good without the evil. That is absolutely categorically different from what biblical Christianity teaches. Jesus's worldview was that all evil is simply a corruption of what is good. It is a pollutant of what is pure, but it is never, it is never an equal force against God or against tov, good, shalom, peace, and justice. These are the Hebrew terms. Does that all make sense to you guys? Just plant that in your pockets and just stay with it for a while. It's a very important meditation for Christians to get a hold of, especially in this, in this moment where we're going to see society repaganizing. As, as society becomes more and more secular, quote unquote, we're not going to see a lot more atheists. We're going to see a lot more worship stuff. And that worship stuff is going to be demonic. And that worship stuff is not on par with worshiping Yahweh. Okay? All right. On the whole, it's this complicated interweaving of chaos and society and the world and our flesh and the inertia of the patterns of our life and our wounds and our histories and our experiences and the devil, it's all of this combined that Jesus instructs us to ask for deliverance every single day from all of this. And here's something so important. We pray monotone, calmly, almost lackadaisically, without any effort Father, deliver us from evil. And then some of us add the little caption there at the end. But we don't really give a second nod to it. This word deliverance, when you pray, deliver us from evil, it was anything but a lackadaisical, whimsical, carefree asking. It's the word rehomai. Can you guys say with me, rehomai? Rehomai, Greek scholars, all of you. Rehomai is translated deliverance here in the English version that we have in the NIV. Very, very strong Greek word in the Greek corpus. It's a violent word. It's a word that evokes this imagery of force and urgency. It's, a, it's an intense word that it, it emphasizes being rescued from danger with the implication that the danger in question is not looming out there somewhere. It is now, it is present, it is severe, and it is acute. Let me tell you a story to illustrate Rehomai. Uh, one, one sunny morning in Seattle, one of the rare ones, many, many years ago, the kids were little. And so I was like, let's go on a bike ride. So we all get on our bikes. And at the time, Joey was probably six or seven, just a wee little cute little guy. And so we get out there and we're riding our bikes and we lived right by the Puget Sound. So everything sloped to the Puget Sound in our neighborhood. Everything was on a hill, no matter where you were. And some of those hills got pretty steep. So we're out riding along and it's this beautiful day and, and, we come, up, we come up close to the sound on this particular street that was like pretty steep. And all of a sudden, I was in front, Joby was behind me, I think the girls were off to the side. All of a sudden, Joby goes ripping by me like at the speed of sound, just And I'm like, man, he's like really brave. He's just going for it. And I was kind of scared because the road curved and he's just hauling and all of a sudden he starts screaming, Dad, Dad, help me, help me. His chain had come off. And he had no brakes, so I see his little legs just going backwards trying to stop. Pure panic, the girls scream, Dad, save him! I pedal as fast as I could. I see him dragging his little vans. He actually dragged his vans so hard that it rubbed the sole off of his vans. I pedaled as hard as I could. He's screaming, deliver me! That's what he's screaming, deliver me. I grab him by his little shirt and I tossed him as hard as I could to the grass. We were right by this home that had grass. I tossed him, but in tossing him, my knee hit my wheel at like 50 miles an hour and my 
wheel went like this, and I just full supermaned right over the top. And as I was going to the asphalt, I said, Father, deliver me from evil. <laughs> I hit, tore my knee, tore my kneecap right to the bone. To this day, it's an ongoing story and an ongoing image of Rehomai. <laughs> deliver me. Panic. Panic. Danger. My dearest ones, the lullabies of secular culture have put us into a deep sleep. When we come to this portion of prayer, we must wake up. Deliver me. Deliver us from evil. It is a cry of intensity, and it is a cry of urgency. When we pray, deliver us from evil, we are crying out to our Father to snatch us from the clutches of certain destruction. It is a very sobering moment, and it is a very sobering capstone on this paradigm of prayer. Now, of course, of course, I recognize this, the gamut of personality in this room, and the gamut of experience, and the gamut of thought that goes through in a series like this, and particularly when we start talking about the devil and unseen realms. For some of us, we're like, this is so silly. Well, you're in a very dangerous place. <laughs> and for some of us, you get really scared, and that's okay. You begin to get really nervous. You start looking for a demon under every single rock. You get a bad bellyache, and honestly, it was just the burrito, but you think it was the devil. Uh, some Christian traditions have actually begun to label outbursts of anger and impatience as demonic when no, it's just a lack of self-control. Some Christian traditions are looking to posit that depression, loneliness, porn addiction, and greed is just mere demonic possession. Uh, no, that's just called sin. It's just called the broken fracturedness of our bodies and our souls and our minds. Listen, here is the biblical theology that you guys as mature Christians have to grasp this. The devil is indeed behind the scenes. In greed, in porn addiction, in depression, in loneliness, the devil is indeed behind the scenes, but the devil isn't always making us do it. We, since the Garden of Eden, have grabbed his hand and said, I'll partner with you in this. That's part of the problem of humanity. This is why we must pray, deliver me from evil, from myself. There is sin, there is our flesh, and there are our choices. I personally, many, many years ago, I'm an analytic. I get stuck in my head. I am obsessive, compulsive about trying to find the answer and make it make sense. And I learned a long time ago, I've got to stop trying to parse through the details of what is satanic, and what is just flesh and sin, and what are just the forces of the society and the world. And friends, it took me many, many years to come out of what the doctors called drug-induced psychosis and what Jesus called demonization. It took me many years of coming out of this deep mental fog and a paranoia that I lived in well into my marriage and even into my youth ministry, trying to discern, are these just the broken patterns of a brain that's been messed up on LSD, or is this satanic right now? Or is this just society? What is happening to me? And where I came to rest was this deep surrender that I and we together live in this complex reality. And all we can do is trust our Father. And our Father sees very clearly. And when he wants to, he will make clear with a gift of discernment, this indeed is a devil. This indeed is a demon. Pray this one away. Pray this one out. And this indeed is your invitation to repentance and grace and mercy. And this indeed is a social construct that you've adopted as real and true. Turn from that, turn back to the scriptures. And so all of this 
complex deliverance from all of this infinitely hard-to-understand reality of evil. It is comprehensive, but for us as Christians, when we pray, Rehomai, deliver me, our deliverance is as comprehensive. It is complete. When we pray, deliver us from evil, we are praying three facets of deliverance to take us to communion this morning. Immediately when we pray, deliver us from evil this morning, it encompasses deliverance from our past, deliverance in the present moment, and deliverance into the future. We have been delivered. We are being delivered. We will be delivered. Are we ready? Okay, let's wrap it up. When it comes to all the types of evil in this world, Jesus definitively conquered the enemy in all of its forms, on the cross through the resurrection. There is no evil that can take any shape or form, even death, that can overcome the Christian because the Christian will resurrect in Christ Jesus. This is why Paul declared victory for the church in Colossae, saying this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities. Those are code words, that shorthand in Paul for the demonic realm around us and the angelic realm around us, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We can't rush past this. In this tiny little dense verse, which is just one of literally hundreds on repeat throughout the New Testament writings, Paul is saying that we, as the community of Jesus' people, We have been delivered from all evil, from the death of our sin, from the death of our flesh and the inertia of our patterns, from the death of all things in all places, in any place that there is evil. We have been delivered because we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. He has triumphed over any tactic that the enemy might have against us by condemning himself on the cross, and so we are free. And so whether it's our psychology or whether it's Satan himself trying to accuse us of guilt and shame or holding us in bondage to evil, the cross has completely canceled all of that debt and the resurrection has conquered all of that death. The power of evil has been completely disarmed. And so we must pray that in. It's got to land. It's got to be more than just mental assent to these ideas. It's got to get into our bodies and into our realities and into our workplaces, classrooms, and homes. So Paul prays this. At the end of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 21, I pray, and I pray this for our church every single morning, literally every morning, you guys get prayed for in this prayer. I pray that neighbors, that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, those are again the angelic and demonic realm, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And so our passageway into deliverance is in and through prayer. Praying to know the power that has been exhibited on the cross and praying to know the same power that raised Jesus from the dead being exhibited in us in our day-in, day-out lives. As Christians, we are endowed with the same power that lifted Christ from death and has conquered evil. That same power that delivered Jesus has also delivered us. Hence, the author of Hebrews wrote this, 
Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And so there it is. We have this past tense deliverance from evil that all of us are walking in today. The moment we proclaim faith in Christ, which is an act of surrender to his lordship, his kingly rule in our lives, we pledge, as Zach said last week, we pledge our allegiance to Jesus, then we no longer walk in any sort of fear. The king has already conquered all evil around us and delivered us from it. So we are delivered past tense, but we must learn to continue to fight present tense. Just last night, uh, my wife and I began uh, re-watching Band of Brothers. What a great, great uh, man. Absolutely incredible. D-Day was the greatest battle in all of World War II. But the war raged on for another, whatever, nine months, I think, something like that. So too, there's been this definitive victory. But we have been delivered. We are being delivered. We will be delivered. God calls us to partner with him. We must once again realize the responsibility that God has placed on our shoulders to partner with him. The biblical story is one of Yahweh, God, our triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, partnering with humanity to deliver this world from evil. And nowhere is this reality of our call to partner with God in our personal deliverance in the present moment illustrated more than by Paul's great warfare chapter found near the end of his letter to the church in the city of Ephesus. This is maybe the most famous warfare passage, spiritual warfare passage in all of the Bible. I'm going to leave it up on the screens, or John will leave it up on the screens here for you guys. I'll read through it and make comment at each little section. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul begins admonishing the people of God, partner with God for present deliverance in this moment, not by your own power, not by your own strategizing, not by taking control, not by your own effort, not in your own authority, but by standing in the strength of the Lord, being strong in his power, which means that we come in weakness. We stand behind him as we would stand behind a shield. Uh, professional exorcists. I've been learning a lot about professional exorcists from this particular podcast lately. Yeah, it's super intriguing stuff. Uh, professional Catholic exorcists. It's a real thing. Um, they talk a lot about how whenever they go to do exorcisms, they must, one of their greatest temptations is to approach the demon, quote unquote, in their own authority. And then they just get wiped out. <laughs> That's why novice exorcists, they bring novice exorcists, uh, Exorcists have to do these long apprenticeships with professional exorcists to learn how to not lean on their own authority and get a little bit arrogant in the presence of the devil when they're doing these exorcists. So how do we do this? How do we stand in the power of the Lord? Here's what Paul says. Put on the full armor of God, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So we start by remembering this. Our struggle is not against the person sitting next to us, the person that hurt us. Our struggle is not against... Israel or Hamas or Putin or Ukraine. Our struggle is not against whichever political party we're the most afraid of or most into. Our struggle is not against whatever ideology we think that we need to conquer or overcome or not imbibe ourselves. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, which is now, 
you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. There is a war raging around us in this physical realm that we can all see, feel, touch, smell, taste with our corporeal five senses. But this war behind the scenes is this metaphysical, angelic, host of heaven, demonic thing that is happening that we cannot possibly comprehend. And so God intends to protect his people and to send his people into the war with this armor on. We pray this armor on. We literally put it on by faith. Stand firm, Paul says. This is the beginning of how we act as warriors in the midst of this war. We stand firm. We don't cower. We don't worry that the bad burrito that gave us a bellyache is maybe a demon. We don't freak out about those kinds of things. We stand against lies. Please, stand against lies. Tell yourself the truth over and over and over. You must stand. And friends, this is a war. This is a war. Christians, we are in a war. Our relentless pursuit of comfort in the name of Jesus, we're trying to find comfort in the midst of a foxhole with bombs and guns going off all around us. This isn't the time for comfort. This is the time for war. And so you must learn to, once again, after this teaching, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Zach walked us through some of that last week. We'll get into that big time this spring. What Jesus did was he responded with God's word, with the Bible. When Satan attacked Adam and Eve in the garden, how did he do it? He did it with deception, with lies, with little subtleties. And so to partner with God in our ongoing deliverance, you'll hear this every single Sunday at Neighbors Church, we, just like Jesus, saturate our minds with God's truth and his word. Daily Bible reading, scripture meditation and memorization. This is where the beginning of the battle happens. We stand and in our psyche, we are saturated in scripture. We tell the stories of scripture. We see how we fit into the story of scripture. We remind ourselves to restory our souls in the midst of each other according to scripture. We dawn scripture as part of our battle armor. And so when the enemy attacks us, trying to condemn us or convince us that we're failures, there's no forgiveness for us, God couldn't possibly love something so ugly or dirty as us, there's no hope, just give up, secularization's taking over, Christianity is silly and trivial, prayers don't get answered, I mean, I'll just, I could part the curtains on the insanity that is the circus of my mind sometimes, and all I can do is just collapse in prayer and say, your word is truth. Father, your word is truth. Your word is, and I don't talk to the devil at all. I'm just like, your word is truth. And I pray scriptures, pray scriptures, pray scriptures. And the breastplate of righteousness. We put the breastplate of righteousness in place because when we are being condemned, it is usually around shame. It is usually around fear. And instead, we are to put on this righteousness. We are seen by our Father as he sees Jesus. We remember that Jesus Christ's righteous life is now the way that we are seen and accepted in the eyes of God. And so we battle through the cross where God did everything necessary to wipe clean our guilt and shame and to clothe us in his perfections as a gift of grace. And we remember that resurrection has conquered us. So whether we're taken out by a tsunami or a tornado or cancer, we win. We win. Past deliverance, but present deliverance says, I will not be afraid. I will stand against these lies. We And so we walk through our days with what St. Paul called the peace that surpasses understanding. In the middle of the war, this peace that surpasses understanding, it guards our hearts. 
And all of this warfare, it unfolds in the context of faith as we focus on our salvation and we rest in God's promises. So he says, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We have been delivered. We are being delivered. And then finally, we will be delivered future tense. This deliverance from evil, it is certain. It is final in the past. It's happening in the present as we partner with God, and it will be complete in the future. No matter what we face or what comes against us, be that danger or disease, natural disasters, the devil himself, or even death, you and I as apprentices in Christ will be delivered. Here's what Jesus himself said to us. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Again, Paul, who lived his life on the front lines like no other man I've ever read of or known, lived his life on the front lines of the war. He knew that God's people, no matter what, would be delivered in the end saying to the Roman church, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we come to communion this morning, it is God's love. It is God's love that has delivered you and I once and for all from all the evil that surrounds us. This morning, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to invite all of us as Christians. If you're not a Christian in this room, this is just real Christianity. I know it can get weird. I, I of all people, understand how weird Christianity is. And if you have questions about what we're talking about, I would love to talk with you more about how... or grab somebody in this church, they'll talk with you more. If you're learning about Christianity or this is just one of those curious moments where you ended up on a Sunday morning and pastor was talking about Satan and all that weird stuff, um, great. You know, maybe a seed's been planted there for you to consider and think about this metaphysical reality that we live in. If you are a Christian, I'm utterly convinced that some of us have been lulled to sleep and the Lord today is like sort of sending a flare over the foxhole, so to speak, saying, wake up, my kiddo. I intend to partner with you. I intend to enact my war through you. I intend to take back my world through you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a warfare prayer. It's a prayer of conquering. And so he's inviting us to partner with him in love and to cry out like little kids who know we're facing imminent danger. To, to take it very seriously. So tomorrow morning or this afternoon at 12 o'clock when all of our alarms go off, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, on through. And when we hit deliver me, just pause it for a moment and go, please deliver us from evil. Feel the weight and the gravity of this metaphysical universe that God has given you this prayer daily to pray to remember the past deliverance, to live into the partnered present deliverance, to, to trust in and move towards the fullness of complete deliverance. And it is through love and it is in love that we will raise with Jesus Christ. And evil, friends, the end of the universe 
the end of the universe is all the pollutant that is evil, all the corruption that is, that is, that is evil, no more. All the wrongs will be made right. This is where we're going. An infinite community of love, in love and being loved by our Trinitarian God in resurrected bodies. He's training you to win now so that you can rule later. That's what's happening. You're being trained. There's this obscure little verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, where Paul says, don't you know you're going to judge angels someday? And I'm always like, no, Paul, I didn't know that. What does that even mean? <laughs> Could you expound on that a little bit more? I do know at this stage in my journey, I know that we are being trained one day not only to stand and rule over the universe, as Jesus would, as benevolent servants, as kind, as, as altruistic and philanthropic and all the things that we ache for, we'll be able to do it. We're being trained to do that now. We're also going to be trained and we're being trained in such a way in this warfare moment to stand and I don't, I don't know how this works. I can tell you there's probably a list of little boogers that were bugging me before I became a Christian that really, really got, got a hold of me. Well, I'll be like, you're out, abyss, lake of fire, lake of fire, you, go, go. But it will be done in such a way that it will be done in such a way in Jesus's authority. That's what's happening to us. And so this is a metaphysical moment when we come to communion. When you all sing in the mornings, sometimes I just like to be quiet because it's like there's this, it's like you can feel the reverberations of your songs going out and Satan just like, it's like uh, like Harry Potter expecto patronum. You know, like they all, wait, can you mix Harry Potter on a Christian Sunday morning sermon? Did I, did I just mess that up, Joshua? I don't know. All right. Let's all stand, and we're going to worship. And uh, my wife was supposed to do communion today, so I'm sorry. You're going to get me again. Father, we worship you this morning. I pray for an awakening in the church, uh, an awakening to once again arm ourselves for war. I pray that there'd be no fear in this room, that um, there'd be no, no unnecessary looking for a demon under every rock, but, Lord, that we would look for the demon where the demon is and that we would pray for deliverance. I pray for an authority to be vested, reinvested in the church, because she is consciously aware that when she walks into a room, when these souls, when these saints of God walk into a room, they bear the authority of Jesus Christ, and they are called to cast out wickedness. They are called to pray for deliverance, for the lost, for the hurting, for the broken. For a kid like me 25 years ago, virtually demon-possessed, for the people on the streets and the CEOs in the penthouses, both equally duped by wickedness and evil, all of us broken by sin and at war with Satan. May these saints, these soldiers of God, may they bring deliverance in their prayers and may they walk courageously and boldly. Remind us of this at the cross this morning. Let's sing here for a bit.